This is the show for those who want to live strong in business, life, and family. Welcome to the Warrior Her Podcast. Anything can be edited. If there's any time, like a time that you're like, no, I don't, I don't want you to include that. Feel free to say that, and I'll, I'll mark down the time, and you know, we'll take it off. But in healthcare, I just feel like there's, there's definitely like, there's just something missing. And so, when I read like your mission and what you were doing with your business, it was just very inspiring to me. So thank you for just kind of doing something a little bit different within healthcare, because I don't think that, I don't think we have enough of people like you in healthcare. So. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Appreciate that. It, it's very inspiring and it might not be easy, I'm sure. And especially with COVID, which we'll also get into, I'm sure, just because <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um, but I would be interested to hear your, you know, your perspective too of what you feel like has that's been like. So with that being said, this is episode 50. I'm being joined by Kimberly Barrow. Uh, she established a family health clinic after practicing as a registered nurse for nearly a decade. Most of her time was spent at the bedside caring for acutely ill patients in level one trauma centers and other hospitals. Many of her patients were uninsured with limited financial resources, and she was unsettled by the healthcare disparities and limited access to care. So she decided to take action. After obtaining a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from the University of Central Florida, go Florida, that's where I am, (laughs) she went on to obtain her Master's in Nursing from the University of Texas Health and Science Center in Houston. The following year, she opened a practice using a self-designed model to deliver top-notch cost-efficient care. Kimberly is credentialed through the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners Certification Program to treat adults and children and is a member of several other professional organizations. So please welcome Kimberly Barrow. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, That was quite the introduction. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, hey, it came directly from you. (laughs) I wish I made up that fabulous introduction. (laughs) but I did. (laughs) So Kimberly, first, we're going to just start with, is it, and do you want me to call you Kimberly or Kim? Either is fine. You know, either is fine. Because I know I get funny about like people calling me Courtney or Court. (laughs) Whatever. So tell me first just about where you're from. Where were you born? Um, So I was born in Pensacola, Florida, but I actually originally from Jacksonville. Um, so I had, I had a military uh, parents. Um, and so uh, my mother is originally from New York. Then well, she came from Trinidad to New York. So my parents are immigrants. Um, and then from there, she joined the service and we ended up in Florida. So I'm originally from Jacksonville, Florida. Um, my mom uh, was a single parent. So there were five of us of which I was the oldest. Um, and yeah. I mean, we just learned how to make it. 
um, just taking care of one, one another, looking out for each other. Um, that's just the culture um, when you're, it's the West Indian culture and coupled with the single parent uh, life. Uh, so that's how I kind of grew up. You know, I went to school in Jacksonville, Florida, graduated there, and then went off to um, undergraduate in Tallahassee, Florida. And so we talked a little bit off camera or off recording about, you know, how you decided to pursue nursing, but what was your family like growing? I mean, what was it like as a family of five with just you and, you know, you being the oldest and did you have a lot of responsibility? Yeah. So, you know, it just, that's just the way the cookie crumbles in the single parent uh, realm. You know, you kind of, um, the older ones to kind of help. Um, I don't, I don't want to say that I was like a parent, but I felt like a parent. Um, I had, uh, let's see the age differences. Okay. I'm 36. My brother's 34. One of my sisters just turned 30 and the other ones are 22 and 21 just had a birthday. So at that time I was about 14 when my mom had this, the younger ones. So I did a, quite a bit. I mean, I was cooking and cleaning and packing baby bags and helping with homework and so forth. So it was a lot, it was a lot. And what made you choose nursing? Um, it just kind of went with, um, my family dynamics. So I feel like naturally I'm just a nurturing individual, but I also came from a family of caregivers. Um, not my mom per se, she was um, in the military and stuff, but my grandmother, uh, she came from Trinidad and she was a caregiver in New York. Um, and a couple of my aunts were caregivers as well. One of them, she worked for um, the New York City uh, emergency. So she was working you know, on the ambulance as an EMT and so forth. And she kind of talked to me about, you know, thinking about nursing. So as I got a little bit older, I did a little bit more research and it just seemed like it would be a good fit. And then where, I, I just lost my train of thought. Oh my God, that's terrible. <laughs> that is terrible. Um, what, what do you like about nursing? Well, I definitely like, um, in terms of the actual job itself, if we were really able to do what we we're trained to do, it would be fabulous. Like just delivering the care, you know, helping the patients recover from, you know, various uh, health events, you know, offering them that reassurance and education about, you know, some of the conditions they, they, that they have. Um, I just like the hands-on aspect of nursing, um, being able to get in there and really help impact those outcomes. And so you now, you're now in, in Houston, mm -hmm. okay? And you have since, let me rewind a little bit. So you, you go to your undergrad, you do your master's. At what point did you fully decide to live in Texas? Was it when you were you starting your master's program? No, so I actually had decided that years prior. Um, so while I was still doing my undergrad, I was still, um, so it was a long undergraduate road for me. I went, <laughs> I went to Florida State initially, straight out of high school. 
All my friends went to, you know, we went to Tallahassee. A lot of my friends went to Florida A&M. Uh, so it was a good time. You know, we were studying and, you know, living the college life. So when it came down to nursing, it was a challenge, like just getting into the Florida State program. I mean, I had a 3.9 GPA, Dean's List every semester, but still. So I ended up, um, you know. Why do you think that is? Well, so there on that, at that particular school, I kind of just got the impression it's not what you know, but who you know, because there were a lot, it was very competitive now. There were about 75 slots per semester. And I think they had about upwards of 200 plus applicants um, each time. So it was really competitive, um, but there was like this long waiting list. It was really diplomatic, political. I just, so I didn't even realize that community colleges had nursing programs. So I took myself from Florida State to Tallahassee Community College and that's where I ended up finishing my undergraduate for the first set. Then I went back to Jacksonville, did my University of Central Florida, uh, BSN Bridge, I did that online. And while I was back in Jacksonville, I just realized that, that I couldn't do it, like that wasn't the place for me. I just feel like Jacksonville, I love this city and you know the people, you know, my family was there, but in terms of progression, I always wanted to, um, be my own boss you know I wanted to open a practice and there were a lot of things I wanted to do that I felt you know I went to go back to school and do graduate program and there those opportunities just were not available in Jacksonville so I started looking around and, and Houston, Texas was on the map yes now had you been to Texas before I had not but I had done a lot of research so I had decided between okay once I finish my BSN, I'm gonna get a little experience, then I'm out of here. And so I have decided, okay, maybe I'll try either New York, California, or Houston, Texas. Well, in my great plan to transition out of Jacksonville, I found out that I was gonna have my daughter. So that kind of changed it up because I was gonna go straight from Jacksonville to New York, and then New York to California, and then Texas. But once I found out I was going to have a baby, that just changed the whole plan. I was like, you know what? I can't be pushing a baby stroller through the snow. Uh, there's nothing <laughs> appealing about that. Uh, in California, I was like, it's too far, you know, to go with, you know, my little baby and her, all her family is going to be on the opposite coast. So I settled on um, Houston, which I didn't feel like actually was like settling or like, I'm not getting what I want because there's a huge, you know, medical center in Houston. Um, plenty of business opportunity. There was a lot of small business owners they have a really good program for um, procurement with the city um, for the small businesses and so forth. So I just was like, okay, uh, plan B. <laughs> and so we found ourselves in Houston. And was anyone in your family, uh, was anyone in your family ever a business owner at all? Oh, yeah. So now my mom, although she wasn't a healthcare provider, um, she was like a business genius. Like, I've never seen anybody like spin a business out of thin air and like be generating clients and, you know, all this stuff, like in a very short span of time. She really took an interest in real estate. So that was her thing. Um, you know, the housing market and so forth. So she did a lot with the real estate um, industry. And, but I learned a lot from her because she didn't do just real estate. She had like a cleaning service and then she had like, she was doing like um, some kind of um, 
what was it? I don't even remember. There were so many different, <laughs> there were so many different businesses. And then she would just like, okay, I'm gonna do this. Okay, I'm gonna got to get my flyers out. Okay, then she would have business cards. And then the next thing you know, it was like a whole operation. She would have like a phone line, fax, computer set up. Uh, so that's where I got that from her. <laughs> so you were exposed a little bit to really the possibilities of what you can do yourself. Absolutely. Instead of, instead of waiting. Um, I actually just saw this stat. I think it said, I'm going to find it, but it was said, it said something about like black women are the, the number one. We're like the number one, uh, we're starting businesses like crazy, just like crazy. And I love that because I'm like, well, I think we've just been slept on for a long time. Facts. And I, I, I personally feel like not just COVID, but over the last few years, that it's just, we're just ready for a change. We're ready to say, you know what? We're not going to get what we want from an employer. We're not going to get what we want from anyone else. So let's do it. And I love that. And I feel like um, it's, it's a big reason of why I have you here today. Um, it's a big reason that I started this podcast because I know there's so many other women that are doing the same exact thing. And I, I love that your mom was doing it. Now, do you feel like your, your siblings also thought that was inspiring that she was like starting businesses you know my siblings and I are a lot different it's so funny because you know you can grow up you know with people in the same household and everybody turned out like completely different and opposite um I think my sister um, one of my sisters is that way she does have the knack for you know business and she's savvy um with regard to that she's one of she's one of our younger ones um but overall no I mean they have um good work ethic um so they did pick up that that aspect of what she was doing but in terms of you know generating or creating their own um the two younger ones they're super young still so they still have a lot of time to grow and you know, kind of figure out what they're going to do with themselves and so forth. But um, I haven't really seen a lot of that in terms of like, they're like gung-ho, I want to do my own thing. <laughs> so you moved to Texas and tell me how or when, as far as like a timeline goes of when you, you go to graduate school and then you decide to open your business. So the timeline, it was relatively short. Okay, my initial plan was, okay, I'm going to go to Houston. I'm going to work, you know, like a year, get get settled in, and then I'm going to go back to grad school. And then my initial plan was, okay, once I complete my graduate studies, I'm going to do like maybe three to five years in primary care, you know, just kind of work at an office um, and kind of, you know, find my way as a practitioner and then um, do my own thing. Um, but that timeline was accelerated because it's so funny how things work. I graduate. Okay. I'm excited. I pass all my boards and stuff. I didn't have a whole lot of issues with certification and I couldn't get a job. 
there I was on Indeed, like a crazy lady, applying and applying and applying for things. I was applying for all kinds of positions and I couldn't get a job. Not a single, I got, I think maybe one interview out of like, I don't even know, countless applications. And not for lack of being a qualified applicant, it's just that the market in Houston is so saturated. There's so many healthcare providers here um, with a number of different backgrounds, a lot of experience. And so it's very competitive. I actually ended up at a um, convenience care clinic, basically like, you know, those ones you just walk in and you're like, okay, I have a cold, I have a strep throat or whatever. It wasn't urgent because we didn't do like suturing and things like that. It was more just, I have a cough, you know, I have a rash. Um, so that was my first opportunity. I was a little disappointed, but, you know, it turned out to be um, a diamond in the rough, so to speak, because at that job is where I learned that it's really not as hard as I thought it was to be an independent provider, because the way that the model they had was set up, it was one provider, one uh, medical assistant, and that's it. There was no other staff, there was no manager, there was nobody, it was just the two of us. And that's where I realized I don't need three to five years to do this. I'm doing it now, um, you know, straight out of uh, school, except I'm doing it under somebody else's umbrella. You know, I'm pushing forward someone else's brand, someone else's vision. So at that point, I was there like two months. I was like, OK, yeah, I started on my computer, um, you know, just doing a lot of research to be able to do my own practice or open my own practice. Do you think it was hard to be a, like a clinician and a business owner at the same time? Um, it is challenging um, because um, as a clinician, there's just a lot clinically that you have to do for your patients. And so um, the business aspect, um, it is time consuming as well. You know, when you're trying to expand or, you know, there's just so many different aspects of operation when you're talking about a business, you know, there's marketing, there's HR because you have staff, you know, then there's like the finance piece, you know, so there's budgeting and all this kind of stuff. And if you're just a lone ranger, it gets to be uh, challenging to try and, you know, manage the time. Wear all the hats. Yes. How old was your, how old is your daughter currently? My daughter will be 12 in November. And you've been, you've been open since when? Um, we opened in 2017 in the spring. So it's four years, almost four, four mm -hmm. and a half years. Yes, ma'am. Half years. Well, congratulations. Thank you. No, that's exciting. Um, do you work with insurance? Yes, we do accept insurance. So the idea is not to turn anybody away. Um, so be it, you know, insured or uninsured, we still try to provide, you know, as best we can the services that they need. So we take insurance as well. Mm -hmm. So when you set up this business, I'm very interested in how you, how you're, you structured like financially the business model because mm -hmm. I am also similar. So I'm trying to open an early intervention clinic okay. for children with autism, insurance-based. Okay. I don't love any of that. I don't love like the insurance. I don't love that it becomes 
ethically a little questionable you know it's like well they need all these hours and then it's you know i it i love that you are doing what you're doing but i'm also fascinated in how you're able to set up your business that way that you can accept uninsured and insured is it like you know 50 50 you'd say or is it just that they give you you know what they can they're like hey i got 50 dollars. like this is what i can give you tell me about this so um <clears throat> For our cash pay uh, clientele, um, we do, we're I'm very flexible. I mean, we do have a set fee schedule for stuff. So we try and make the fee schedule basically like 50% less than you would go if you went to a regular provider. So um, on average, a regular office visit for a provider is about $100 if you're going to a doctor's office. And that doesn't include any diagnostic testing, any lab work, any of that. A lot of it is just to see the provider. Um, if you're getting into specialty visits, I've heard, because um, I work in a, we work in like a shared office space, um, I've heard those girls give four to $600 estimates for the office visit. For the specialist. Um, and so we just said, I just said a like a baseline, like $55 general medical office visit. You can come in and talk to us about your medical problem, depending on what it is, it includes a diagnostic test, like a lab, you know, test if they need it. And then we do sliding scale for all the other stuff. Um, we have done, you know, payment arrangements, whatever. Um, just to try and accommodate those, because we get a lot of students, college students and things as well. So can you, so we do have, can you tell people who, like, what would count as a specialist? Who would count as a specialist? So like specialty. So like I'm a family medicine um, provider. That's, that's technically my specialty. So, but if you're going like, okay, you have a kidney uh, concern and you have to go and see the kidney specialist or a rheumatological thing, maybe you think you have lupus and you need to see the rheumatologist it gets to be very expensive when you start talking about seeing cardiologists and all the various specialties because they cost, they cost. Um, so my goal is to try and do as much as I can at the family practice level um, before they are you know, faced with the brunt of a specialty cost because we pretty much can triage and kind of dabble in a multitude of conditions. And do you, did you hire people that were also specialists like is that how your business is set up to hire other specialists or is it just medical assistants no so um i have not hired any uh specialists um but i do consult with them so i have a huge network of doctors that i know nurse practitioners and so if i have a question i can generally ask you know if it's something beyond you know my scope or something that i'm concerned about i can generally ask you know the questions and to kind of direct or guide some of what we're doing at our level um, without the cost um, to the patient having to go now to the office and do a consultation and so forth we try to offset it somewhat, but no, we don't have any staff. Um, there's just too many specialties. There's a lot of legality and stuff um, in Texas in particular with nurse practitioners and physicians, um, a lot of red tape, so no. And how does that affect business with all the red tape? 
it can be challenging because Texas does not allow nurse practitioners full independent, uh, independent practice, whereas a lot of the states over half have. So things have changed. It used to be nurse practitioners would work very closely um, with the physicians um, and they were sort of like a supervisor. Um, so there's still that uh, red tape in terms of, oh, you need the physician to sign off on this or you need a doctor to sign off on that when essentially it, it's, not really it's not really necessary because they're not required to actually see the patients or even be within a certain mileage of your office like it used to be. So that can be a challenge because even when you are talking about getting into some of the insurance networks and we're trying to join, um, we're restricted from joining if our collaborating physician does not participate. So some of the Medicaid plans and HMOs that pay a little bit less, physicians tend not to want to be in those plans or those groups. Well, I do want to be in those plans and those groups because that's where my patient population is. But it presents a challenge because you can't, you know, we can't proceed without their participation. So. And so it's for right. people who are listening who may not understand, and I think this is my understanding as well, is that in order for you to be able to take certain insurance, right, like Humana, let's just say, for example, in order for you to accept Humana in your office, you have to have a physician who is in network with them, correct? Yes, for majority of the plans, that's how it works in those states that still require that collaborative relationship. Mm -hmm. And so if they don't, and she and Kim still wants to see these patients, she might have 100 people that can come to her, but she's unable to do so because she can't accept Humana because of the rules that are kind of in place. Also, why insurance is such a pain in the butt sometimes, like, especially for providers, you know, it, it's sometimes a pain for the, the customer too, but the providers, there's, there is a lot of, a lot of other things that go into it um, that can interfere with providing services. Why wouldn't somebody be a provider in your opinion? Like, why wouldn't you want to be an in-network provider with you know, Blue Cross or Humana, or let's say Courtney's insurance company? Well, um, a lot of it is to do with financial, uh, it's financial essentially. So there are um, plans, networks that uh, have a reputation for not really being uh, easy to work with. They're just difficult. They're you know, denying the claims that the providers are sending in or the reimbursement, the fee schedule is really relatively low. And that uh, deters some of the physicians, especially from even being bothered. The HMO plans assign providers. So they get the card and it says, your primary care provider is XYZ on your card. So some of the providers have said they feel overwhelmed by the number of patients that they get assigned through the HMO and the reimbursement they feel is just not comparable to the amount of work they're going to have to do for all of the volume that they're going to have to see because they're contracted to. And so with the, with the HMO plans 
for medical care. You're assigned to, I'm assigned to your practice or you for, for care. And is, mm -hmm. is that something that the, the client will choose or are they just, they just, you know, randomly assign it? No, all the, the patients have the option to select their primary care provider, but if they do not choose someone, then they're just assigned a person that's in their area by zip code or something like that. And then when you're reimbursed, two parts to this question. One, do you think that reimbursement rates are fair? Um, it depends on the plan and the kind of services. I, I do think some of those, it depend on the policy, but some of them are relatively low reimbursement, like $30 <clears throat> for the office visit. I've heard as low as $10 for reimbursement for the office visit from an insurance plan. And then for people who are listening to who don't maybe understand, including myself, some of these things are a little confusing with the reimbursement as a business owner, right? From the other side of it, I come into your office for an office visit to keep it consistent. I pay you $20 copay and then you bill the insurance for the services and then they reimburse you $10. So you have made $30 Plus, you had to see me. You had to pay somebody to probably do your billing <laughs> and keep up mm -hmm. with your billing. So <laughs> people who are listening have, you know, it's a lot more, the business side of it is more than, hey, I came in and, and this dentist or this provider is taking all this money from me. It may not come back to them that way. Plus, they have to pay for the building. They have to pay themselves. They have to pay insurance all these other things. So think about that. Um, <laughs> do you think that healthcare is overpriced? It most certainly is. Um, I do believe that healthcare in the United States is overpriced. Um, and the costs are very, very heavily inflated, um, which is what creates those disparities among, you know, various communities. It's the cost. It's not that people don't want care, but the providers are driving that. The insurance companies are driving that. The pharmaceutical companies are driving those costs. How do we, how do we change that? You know, that's where it gets really tricky because, you know, there's, relationships among the insurance companies and certain legislators that pass laws um, and pharmaceutical companies. And so you get these big wigs with all the money, you know, the money is power. That's the power of influence. Um, and it makes it really challenging to go against that unless you have the means, you know, to be able to push for a certain kind of change. And, you know, I also feel like I've been in a situation where I had to get a dental implant. So I had to get a dental implant. At the time, I did not have dental insurance. So I got a quote from this provider 
and it was like $4,500. And that just, it was like, okay, I'll figure it out. I'll try to make, I'll make like payments. And then he would only accept really high payments. Mm. And I just, it, I feel like it's so important too, because it, it makes you feel like crap, you know, like, and then that's why within our communities, it's like, we talk about, well, why didn't they just go get the service? It's like, there's so many layers. It's not just about it being so expensive and then not having someone that looks like you, them kind of were just, okay, whatever. You're probably not, it's probably not that serious. I like, what do we do? You know, what do, <laughs> how do we change that? And, you know, that's part of, you know, that was a big reason why um, I, you know, chose to really dig into the healthcare sector. I mean, my mom, she had a lot of stuff going on when we were young. We didn't have health insurance. So I came from a background without insurance. She got out of the military and there went our healthcare. Um, and so we didn't go to the doctor and it was because of lack of resource. Um, we didn't go to the dentist because it cost and she just did not have the means to pay. And she had a lot of health concerns. She had blood pressure issues. Um, it was just a lot. She had with my sister, there was like a postpartum hemorrhage, which that's a long story, but I just felt like they didn't listen to her. Like they were not listening to her or when they, she went back and forth to the ER a million times with her blood pressure but it was because she couldn't get access to regular follow-up to be able to maintain her blood pressure with a $4 prescription. Like, it was just crazy to me that that goes on. Um, so I was just like, listen, eh -eh. I'm gonna go in, we need some more people that look like us um, to be educated on these things so that we can try to change the narrative, you know, for the generations going forward. A, to kind of curb fear, because a lot of times, there's a trust factor that's lacking with the providers as well. Everybody heard about the Tuskegee experiments and we have that <laughs> for our older generation, especially male patients. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of build, rebuild that trust and kind of make that care accessible so that we're not falling apart when all we needed was a visit to get a, a $4 prescription to keep us from being in the hospital with a stroke, you know, or a heart attack. Yeah, it's like some of the found foundational things, you know, or the preventative care that I, I, that's the other part that I dislike about insurance. And even finding that with the kids with autism, it's like if, you know, you receive Medicaid or certain insurance, it's, you have very limited access to what's available to you. And I just don't find that to make a lot of sense to me. Like those are the kids who need it the most and they're going to be denied because, because what? Like, but I have a thing of people over profits and that is what I felt even just reading about you. Like I told her off camera, like I found you on Instagram and it was just something about <laughs> the way that you you said things like you whatever you're doing is getting people's attention <laughs> because it's just really powerful and I, I I applaud you for 
going against what most companies do and just I know it's an uphill battle I know it's you're going to be facing a lot of stuff but at the same time I our ancestors did way harder things it's a fact and so you know we have to just remember that part because we're going to do some hard things and we're going to push through and change things but we have a lot more leeway (laughs) than they did so now what's next so um, I'm just still going to continue uh, the practice. Next is um, we're going to incorporate some um, mobile healthcare services. So where our clinic is located, the demographic is um, predominantly minority. We're very close to the um, Houston Medical Center, um, but there are areas around there that really are lacking. Um, so we're going to do like some mobile health services. We're going to get a little... Kimberly Cares bus or something <laughs> and um, kind of have it stationed in different parts of the community to be able to have it a little closer for those folks who don't have transportation. And what does that look like as far as the business part? So um, we already found a, um, a mobile unit. Uh, so logistically it's just going to be, we'll just have it staffed um, and it'll have, you know, regular hours and things of that nature, pretty regular hours, pretty like set days a week in certain places. Um, so that, you know, that familiarity, that routine, oh, I know they're here on, you know, this days I can go and, you know, be seen. So it's, it's like a food truck, but for healthcare? It looks like, you know, those blood bank, um, it looks like Like a a charter, like, you know how they have those charter buses, but it's not as big. We don't have like the great big old blood bank uh, bus, but we have something similar. So it has like examination rooms in there. It has like a little lab space. It has two examination rooms, a little lab space and, um, you know, a little area to do like a little bit of registration and things of that nature. Um, so it's pretty cool. Is that, Compact. so is that yours or is it a company that has the, that owns it? No, we, we are going to purchase it. So it will be ours. I wonder if you could do like pop-up events too. Yeah. So like at also, different, um, like, you know, how the, there'll be different events in the community, just regular just, events, you know, where people just to get eyes out on it too, you know, like, Hey, look and make it, make it like normal. I feel like that's another part of it is making, getting healthcare normal because it's not, I, I know like growing up, same thing, single mom, poor, like we just didn't, it wasn't a thing. We weren't like, yes, we're going to the doctor. Like we're going to go get our teeth cleaned or we're going to go, you know, it was very uncomfortable experience. So I was just, my mind was thinking like, would that be something you guys could do maybe like pop-up events? Yeah, we certainly will. I mean, the, the mobile unit is going to be used in a number of ways. Um, community events is definitely going to be one of those. Um, the college campuses, we're right by Texas Southern University, which is the HBCU in Houston. So we're like just a few miles from there, as well as um, the University of uh, Houston. So U of H, they're kind of like basically side by side. So, you know, we're going to go to some of those campus events, you know, with COVID and all that stuff, it's kind of hindered a lot of things that we wanted to do in the community, but community involvement and you know, education is definitely part of the goal for that mobile unit. 
also, I just was thinking, I know, I know a DJ there who could make it, you know, like you gotta, we gotta get people out, right? You gotta get people yeah. out of certain things, like making it, I'm into that kind of stuff and doing things that are good. Like who in, who in healthcare is like having a party with getting healthcare services? Nobody, <laughs> you know? It's like waiting this long, hot line. People are miserable. I'm just always thinking about <laughs> stuff like that. So if you're interested, if you need it, let me know. Okay. <laughs> let me know. So tell people where they can find you on social media. So um, you can find us on Instagram at Kimberly Cares LLC. Same thing on Facebook. Our uh, social media handles all the same. They're Kimberly Cares LLC on Facebook and Instagram. We don't have a Twitter, um, but just Facebook and Instagram. And and then of course you can find us on the web on our website uh, www.kcaresmore.com. And then tell me about this necklace because for for people who oh. are not on camera, <laughs> she has this bomb necklace. I'm definitely gonna buy it. <laughs> It's, oh, it's, it's Africa. African. Yeah. But there's something it's, in the middle of it. I can't really tell what it is. It's a heart. It's like a little baby heart um, in the middle of the continent of Africa. It's basically saying, I love Africa. Where is that from? I got this one on um, Amazon. They have them. There was a like a vendor on Instagram that I bought my original one from. Um, that they sell all the little cute uh, African inspired pieces. You know, they have these and then they have the little third eye necklace. I'm into that kind of stuff. So check them out. Definitely on Amazon. Amazon has everything. I love Amazon. <laughs> dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. All right. I'm- Thanks for listening to the Warrior Her podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another fun episode. Go like, subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes. Until next time, warriors, remember, girls really do run the world.